B-Ball referees and Referee Rant cap off their collaboration of the Referee Roundtable. This one, the third and final installment. Bernard Bowen Sr. and I lead another vibrant talk of almost 30 officials in all levels of the game to speak of the things that you speak on during your pregame and what needs to be said postgame. We hope you enjoy. And now, the tales from the third team. We're going to get started. I thank everyone for coming in and joining. Uh, I'm Bernard Bowen. I'm hosting this with Ralph uh, from Referee Ramp. And what we're looking to do is keep all the referees engaged on this time that we're down a little bit. Uh, so I thank all the referees who have gotten on and the guests that we have that came on. I enjoy them coming in and spending some time with us. We had a special guest in Al Batista on. We have some additional guests that's on as well. And uh, we'll ask them to say a few words. But what I would like to do is get kick-started. Ralph, would you like to add anything? Uh, I just want to say, well, everyone, we apologize for all the technical difficulties that we were having initially. Um, but we're up and running. Uh, we want to thank you for being on this call. This is something that Bernard and I are very passionate about. Uh, we're very excited to get a lot of officials from different levels um, that are really into teaching. And like I said in the preview, this is a perfect opportunity while we're apart to stay connected. And I'm looking forward for the third one. Um, just to let you know, as always, if you have any questions, just leave it in the chat room. I'll make sure that Bernard gets. But as far as if somebody's presenting, just make sure you give them your undivided attention and put everything on you until everyone's uh, being done their presentation. Great. Thank you, Ralph. So this evening that we're going to be talking about is a topic that I think is very important to all officials and for officials to understand exactly uh, what a pregame is. We're going to be talking about a topic of pregame and postgame. And in that pregame, I like to get a lot of folks to understand what it takes to be a good official and the, and the preparation that you got to have in order to do that. Uh, what I would like to start out with is to ask some of the officials on the line to give me what they think a pregame is and what they should be doing prior to having our guests come on and explain to us what a pregame is. And so this way we can hear what you have to say first, and then our guests will be able to come on and summarize and give us some additional information. Is everybody on the same page with that? Let's move forward. Andrew, can you give me a little bit of what you think about a pregame? Um, so first thing to have your your pants, um, pants, shoes, socks, whistle, clothing, equipment already looking 100%. That would be my first start, having your whistle and uh, spare whistle and attachment onto your um, uniform. Um, uh, am I going to go one? I'm going to go two? What a, okay. What would you like me to do? One at a time? Well, uh, yeah, just give me a couple, and then we'll ask a couple of others to get on as well. I see I got another okay. guest by uh, Gary Patterson is on. Um, yes, sir. Then, uh, where, <laughs> and then uh, when you've got the, the, the outfit sorted, then when you get onto the court, um, first things first, address partner, so who's free. Um, from there, speak to your table. These are just quick briefs. So sorry if it's going. Um, my first thing that I'll go and do is uh, 
support, see if it's official size, if there's any obstruction, um, nets and the basketball uh, basket is and netting is incorrect. Uh, incur- okay. Do we have Joe Thompson on? How about Kevin? Kevin Hall, can you give us a little bit about what the game should be about and some of the things that you would do in a pregame? Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Uh, good afternoon, guys. Uh, said a pregame, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, pregames, are, to me, is I approach it um, talking to my partner about, you know, any type of history on the two teams, uh, trying to get as much knowledge as possible on the coaches' behaviors, um, just try not to be a surprise of anything on the court. So normally, you know, if I had a team before, I'd tell, tell my partner how that team plays, what they expect, if they attack the rim or they shooting, what kind of team it is, uh, how the coach behavior is, so how we know how to handle him or her, um, or go over certain type of plays that was, you know, that we both experienced throughout the season, anything that was unique, uh, you're ready for it. Nice job. Smush Parker, welcome once again. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what you think of the uh, a pregame and the referee community. All right, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. All right. Yes. Community, I believe uh, how I've been able to uh, warm up is uh, mentally, I get mentally prepared for the game. And just like, you know, the approach that Sean Holder, um, you know, approaches uh, every, every game, you know, I pray before, you know, I go out there uh, just to get me in the a, in a right headspace. Um, I get acclimated with my with my partner. You know, we, we, we talk, you know, we go over uh, the rules, you know, we go over how we might officiate this game, uh, you know, get a, get adjusted, uh, get the uh, tables names, you know, introduce ourselves, um, and then, you know, watch both lab lines, you know, uh, you know, analyzing the players and see what kind of talent we're working with to the, um, uh, this game. And, you know, um, you know, just, just root, uh, Getting feedback and feeding off of the energy that both teams are given. Yeah, Sean Holy, he mentioned you. Can you give us a little bit about what you think of a pregame? Yes, sir. Good evening, everyone. Everyone doing? Good evening, Bernard. I hope I hope I said that right, Bernard. <laughs> All right, um, yes. <laughs> my my version of a pregame starts with contacting your partners, communicating with your partners, whether it's him or her calling, finding out what time you're going to be arriving at the gym or the arena, doing small talk, talking about about different um, the teams. And then once once we arrive at the at the gym or the arena, we, we, we pregame again. Every, our pregame starts when you first walk into the building. You're getting, getting used to the, the um, area that you're in, whether if it's you're talking to the person who's the head of the athletic co- committee for that for that game. And once you once once I'm once I'm finished walking in and getting myself used to my surroundings and getting familiar with the athletic director or or the people that's going to be helping us with the game, I speak to my partners. We talk about past past if we had if we had um, those teams before. Also, we talk about stats, which is very important because you want to know how how the team how the team runs. And um, we juggling with my partner, you know, getting used to him, used to him or her. Because that's very important. I, I feel that that once you have a connection with your partner, you will have a um, a good flow of the game, and you'll be able to work work together. And then my personal, I do my own personal rituals as a, as a pregame. I, I like to stretch, take care of my body, um, pray before before each and every game, 
through self-talk, make sure that I'm able to recognize certain plays or recognize the situation with coaches. That's about it. All right. Great job. Thank you for that. Rob Chin, please give us a little bit about how you feel and what do you do for a pregame? You hear Basically, my, my pregame is when I first walk in the gym. Oh, you Because I have it on this. I'll be mentally uh, prepared, get my mind focused on the game, uh, come in, introduce myself to my partner. Uh, we basically talk uh, about past experiences, uh, play calling, and uh, basically just counting, you know, going over the teams, counting the kids, going to the table, uh, just whatever we might think we might see in the game, you know, we might pick up. Uh, little, you know, basically every, you guys kind of explained a little bit of everything. So, you know, it's, that's basically how I would do it. Just going in, just be focused, and uh, just uh, try to get that communication with you and your partner. Just be prepared. Okay. <clears throat> uh, how about how about you, Zach? Zach Murphy, come on in and give us a little bit about how you prepare with the main steps and things that you do. Yes, you can. Cool, cool. Um, so for my pregame, um, I remember uh, Smush and I uh, together uh, during the winter time. I feel like that was a good time for us to develop a pregame routine and figure it out. I, I know that um, 15 minutes before game time, um, we would go over, we, we, would, we would just always go over uh, um, primaries. And if we missed, if we missed calls in primaries, we would just, I, I feel comfortable just letting it know to my partner, hey, if you see me miss something, call it. Um, because it's better to get a call right than to have no call at all. Um, Good. So that's always something that's a tenet of my pregame. Also, uh, <laughs> another thing, uh, I would always go over and I go over with all my partners is the blarge. Always have the blarge in my pregame. Um, <laughs> because uh, I had, I had, a, I had, I had unfortunate experience with a partner because one of us had a call and the other, one of us had a charge and the other, and the other one had a block. I had the blocking foul, my partner had the charging. Um, so the barge for me is a must because I still consider it a freak play. And, you know, anything weird that's happened to me, I want to bring it up to my partner to see if he or she has had that weird situation happen to them too. If they have, it's a way for me to bond with my partner in the pregame, assuming that I've only met them for the first time or only worked with for the first or the second time. Um, so I feel like weird experience sharing um, kind of fluke plays is a good way of connecting with your partner in the pregame. And then if your partner never had that experience, just let them know what happened, laugh about it, and then ask, hey, how would we call? Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much my pregame. Tom, would you like to give us a little feedback on your pregames and things that you think about? And then I'm going to have a guest speaker, oh. a, a guest come in. So Tom, give me a little yeah, bit. Yeah, be real quick for me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's helpful, all the talk I've heard so far. Uh, the rapport building is very important. But uh, mostly I would go over rule changes, um, points of emphasis, uh, history of the teams. And, uh, you know, like sometimes I might uh, express like a tendency that like I, for instance, might rotate often as a lead, have field people out to see their opinion, you know, technique. Yeah, basically, and, and just bring up, you know, some basics. Totally, totally understand. I do have a guest that I'd like to say hello to and thank him for joining us. So Paul Geich, uh, he's a fellow official. His daughter-in-law is in the NBA. Uh, 
His son is in the Division One level, and he's actually an official. He started officiating pretty much. He's coaching prior to being 61 years old. 61, he started taking to talking about officiating basketball, and I got to hear all about him. He's an 84-year-old high school official, still officiating basketball. Paul, step in and say a few words for us. Tell us a little bit about your pregame and the things that you do. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it was very, very nice for you to introduce me uh, the way you did. Uh, yes, I've been 23 years officiating. I've gone through a lot, a lot of medical problems, but I love the game so much. I'm still on the floor. At 84, I'm a very active varsity girls official because the boys are a little bit too fast for me anymore. But now in the uh, pregame, uh, what they have already talked about previously, they're all recognizable. But now when we're in the locker room and we're face-to-face, -face, we know each other, we've talked over a little bit about the, the game we're having. Of course, now we're high school, we're not college, we're not pros. So we're a little bit more recognizable among all the teams and, of course, our officials because we're just so local. But at the same time, in our pregame, uh, we talk very, very much about our area of assignments are holding our whistles. We don't like the blarge. We don't like it whatsoever. Nobody does. So we do hold our whistle a little bit before we give our signal, give our primary official the chance to take the play first. Then if secondary, we have to come in, we come in. But going in there, it's primary in our talk before our games. Let's make sure we have 10 people on the floor. We are responsible. We don't want to have 11 at any time or 12 or more. At every timeout, every dead ball, the clock is dead, but we better be alive. We're looking over everything, checking the scoreboard, watching the table, watching the players, watching how the coaches are behaving on the sideline with their players. And prior to uh, really start of the game, recognizing the floor on its location, any baskets that may be in a possibility of being uh, an out-of-bounds or how the out-of-bounds lines are lined up with the basketball uh, supports. And of course, getting really, really into the game Pay attention to your partner. Let your partner officiate his or her game. If secondary, we have to come in, we'll come in. It's hard. It's very hard to hold a whistle. So many times I'm watching games and I see double whistles. Uh, going back in my early days, we were always told double whistles are bad. Then we're coming along and they say, if we have a double whistle, it's okay. But then again, we really come back to officiating. We officiated our primary. That's what's important because it's nice to have six eyes on the floor doing the game in respect to the players and giving them a real honest game. As some of the previous, previous officials said, I do say a prayer before every game, and I, I do. I do thank the good Lord <clears throat> that I could run up and down the court with these strong, wonderful athletes. I used to think I was good, but boy, you look at them today. They are excellent. Back to you. <laughs> Great job. Thank you so much. And Steve, thank you uh, for inviting your dad on. And I very much appreciate hearing from him. Uh, we have one of our guest speakers that I would ask him to come on, Mr. Paul, Mr. Sean Campbell. I'm sorry, Paul. Uh, uh, Sean no Campbell is going to step in <laughs> and he's going to give us a little bit, a little bit about 
what a pregame is, what he does from a Division One level, and give us a little bit of background on how you got to that Division One level. Sean, can you come on in and say hello to everyone? Hey, dude, how are you guys? Uh, that's a loaded question, Bernard. <laughs> um, can you guys hear me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but I, my hero, cool, cool. I've heard a lot of good things. <laughs> I've heard a lot of good things from a lot of you guys, um, which is awesome. But I want to take a step back. So before we talk pregame, I think there are certain there's sort of a pre pregame or there or what I would call best practices before we think about what we do when we get to a gymnasium. Um, and I'll just throw out some things. So whether you're confirming your games on school website, so you can you go to the school the the home team's website or you go to the visiting team's website, you want to make sure that it's the time of the game is the same on both websites, kind of step one. I kind of do that, and I know a couple of other officials that do that as well. Uh, piggybacking off of that, you also want to contact the school, right, to confirm the actual game time. Um, there have been instances where game times that are on the assignment systems could potentially be different from the actual game time. Um, so that could be something that we could kind of avoid. So it's sort of good preventive best practices of pregame officiating to make sure that we're actually getting to the game on time uh, and we're communicating with partners and even assigners to let them know there that there's a difference in the game times posted on the assignment system. Um, what else do we do? Uh, checking the weather forecast, like depending on what level of officiating you, you, you do. Um, if it's division two or lower, and you're working locally, I mean, I think it's still important to check the weather, but if, you ha if you're having to make travel plans a week or two weeks in advance, um, or at least a week in advance, you need to check to see what the weather is, so whether it's gonna be rain, whether it's gonna be snow, because that impacts uh, your travel time. Um, some other things, smaller things I'd say is <clears throat> confirming travel plans with your partners, right? confirming arrival times with your partner. Sometimes guys like to travel to games together. Sometimes guys are meeting up in a specific, if, and I'll speak to a higher level, if you're a division one official and you're flying into a certain city, sometimes guys wanna meet up at the airport or a train station or even a hotel and they'll travel together from there to game. So it's also good to sort of communicate when you're getting in, what time you're getting in, what airlines, what hotel, uh, all of those factors sort of come into play. Um, if you're unfamiliar with an arena, uh, and this has happened to me, if you're unfamiliar with where the gym is located at a school or university, like you've got you've to plan ahead. You've got to give yourself an extra 15 minutes or half an hour to make sure you're not lost on a huge campus trying to find a gym or an arena. Um, that's a little something you can add into your game. Um, the other big part of sort of the best practices uh, is also what we consider, what we would call KYP, which is know your personnel. So before a game, I'm going to do a lot of, well, not a lot, I'm going to do as much due diligence as I can to know what the, what's the record of the home team versus the record of the away team. Is this a rivalry game, right? Who are my statistical leaders? Who's, who's the, the leading scorers? Who are the leading rebounders? These are the individuals that we want to keep in the game so that the game kind of runs smoothly, right? So we'll, I'll do due diligence before I get to the gym, and then we'll talk about the due diligence that we've, each partner has done when we get 
when we're in the locker room. Um, so those are some of the best practices or additional things that we that I consider things that we should do before we get to a gym and before we actually have any pregame conference at the gym. Um, you guys went sort of like, like right into what's discussed once you're at a gym or what your routine is. I think one of the, oops, sorry. I think one of the most important things that I have seen or experienced in a locker room is two individuals or three individuals basically just talking once you arrive. Hey, how are you? How's your family? How's your job situation? Those things are important. I want to know if someone is having an issue at home or having an issue at work before we get on the court, because that could affect how they officiate the game. And I think those, those are some of these simple things that we can do to break the ice in a locker room, right? You're not always going to work with someone who you're very familiar with. You could be working with two individuals or another individual that you've never worked with before. So I think it's important to exchange some type of niceties, um, ask some sort of surface questions, right? What they do for a living outside of basketball, um, just to kind of break the ice and start a conversation. Um, so I'll segue. So, so let me make sure I segue this correctly. So from best practices to then let's move into sort of pregame um, conversations. Uh, and you, I don't want to. I don't want to be redundant. Um, so I think the best pre-games that I've been a part of uh, is one in which an official, or excuse me, and is one in which the referee engages the other two or the other one official in that locker room. It it can't be one individual just running off what we're going to do, and the other one individual, two individuals don't have any input. It has to be a cohesive team effort. So everyone has to bring something to the table, right? I think that's extremely important, um, especially in cases where you have a veteran official working with a uh, rookie official. Um, it's important to make that rookie official feel extremely comfortable, right? It's important for a veteran to make sure that he has this rookie official back. So you want to engage him. And I think a lot of this starts in the locker room during a pregame. You want to engage this young official as much as you possibly can. You want to empower this young official. You want to make sure that he's comfortable. He or she is comfortable when they go out onto the floor. Um, uh, I think one, I don't know if it was Sean or, or Smush, but someone talked about uh, the table personnel. Um, at the Division One level, we have the luxury of having the table personnel come into the locker room, which is phenomenal. Uh, it's important to get to know their names, especially, especially the person that we think could potentially hurt us the most, and that could be the shot clock personnel. We want to know that person's name. I want to know that person's first name, right, because it's my duty or it's my responsibility that when we're in the game, every chance that I get to point to them or to, to let them know that they're doing a good job, I'm going to do that just so that I can keep them engaged and I can keep them on our side. Um, typically, it's the shot clock personnel who can hurt us the most. So make sure you know their first names is, is the best advice that I can give you, right? Uh, and they really, really appreciate that. I think they go above and beyond when we treat them like teammates as opposed to if we're just running in their gymnasium and then we're out and then they have another crew to work with, you know, throughout the season. What other gyms do I have here? Um, 
I think I, yeah, I think I'll stop there, you know, because I don't want to be too redundant. Redundant. Everybody threw a lot of good stuff. But one of the questions you asked Bernard was my asked about my journey. Yes, to that level. I like to hear um, about it. Absolutely. Oh God. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, my I, I would I would I think that my journey is kind of typical for someone who moved up the ranks, starting with doing CYO basketball, um, high school basketball, uh, junior college, so on and so forth, division three, two, and then ultimately one. Um, it's a journey that took, I'd say, uh, seven to eight years for me to go from the high school level to the division one level. Um, everybody's journey is different. So I should say that. So what, what works for me might not work for someone else. Um, but if I can impart some type of wisdom, um, I think it's, it's important to, to get to know your assigners as well as you possibly can. I think it's important for you to identify who the top officials are on whatever level it is that you're working, right? You want to get out to see those officials. You want to see those officials. You want to see what they look like. You want to see what they're doing. Right. You want to see how they're managing games. You want to see mechanics. You want to see what the guys ahead of you look like. So then mm -hmm. some way, shape Good or form. Point. Good you, point. Yeah. So then some way, shape or form, you can say, all right, I know what they look like. I know what they do. What is it that I need to do to get to their level? Um, the journey comes with going to numerous camps over some extended period of time. Like, you have to be willing to invest in yourself. And unfortunately, in today's game, camp is a necessity in order for you to move up. But you also got to be aware of what your level is, right? I, I, I think in officiating, we have to be extremely honest with ourselves, extremely honest, right? So part of it is looking apart. Part of it is being political to some degree. Part of it is willing to put yourself out there, even if you're scared shitless. But you have to be extremely honest with yourself. So if I'm doing games and I don't and I don't look like a division two or a division one official, then I might need to be a little choosy about the camps that I'm going to. Right? Perhaps I need to go to a I don't know if that's me with the feedback or not. Um, perhaps I need to go to a teaching and training camp before I go to a tryout camp. What you also need is people around you who are going to be equally as honest with you as you are with yourself. So don't let someone come to you and say, hey, yeah, you should go try out for, you should go to this ACC camp if you've only officiated for two years and you haven't done a Division three college game. I don't know that that's the camp for you. If you're willing to waste your money, all right, great. If you, would, if you just want to go to see what it's like, okay, but then you're also taking a risk there as well. Because what you're going to show in it, you're going to show in a sign of your ability, and he's going to remember that. He's going to remember the first time he sees you, and you'll get scratched, and then you'll start to have to go repeatedly, and hopefully you get better over the years. But I think it's, it's important for guys to start slow, go the teaching and training route before you start to go to these uh, exposure and or tryout camps. So that was, that's also an important part of my journey. So camps for many years, um, it's, it's constant, constant studying of rules. It's constant looking at plays. It's, it's, it's constantly looking for feedback 
not for not for officials on the same level that you are, but for officials who are working at the level that you want to get to, because their feedback is critical as all as well. Um, another quick thing I'll say is when you go to camps, that's not a time for you to stay to yourself or just hang out with the boy or the the girl that you went with. That's not the time for that. Camp is also it's a social experience. It's meeting. It's showing people your personality, right? Because that's equally as important. It's not just whether or not you can blow. Assigners want to know who they're employing. So they got to see your personality. Um, so I don't want to be long-winded, but the, it, the journey was whatever year, five to 10 years, a lot of camps, a lot of making connections, a lot of getting advice from officials who worked at the level that I wanted to get to. Uh, and ultimately I did get there. So I'll, I'll end with <laughs> is, is Bernard still here? Is my host lead? You got to unmute you. You gotta meet your okay, mic. I'm sorry about that. I have another guest speaker, Al Batista, long journeyman. Got to meet him last year and been working very closely with him ever since. I'm enjoying the journey with him. He's got a lot of knowledge, and I welcome him to this round table and ask him to give us a little bit of his, as we say, nuggets in this game regarding pregame. Al. Oh. Thank you, Bernard. It's, it's an honor to be on this today. Um, but let's talk about pregame first. At any level, what is pregame? It's preparation for your, your assignment. And when you have a pregame, you want to be detail-oriented. Um, just my opinion, any level you're working, your pregame should be um, 30 to 45 minutes long because you want to cover everything that – could possibly happen in a game. And, and, and all your points are really good. So the first thing when you, when you do your pregame is things here. I'm just going to give you two things today to just think about. Um, uh, number one is what are we going to do when we come on the floor? When are we going to get the captains? When are we going to the scoring table? Because that's, that's important, okay? But let's just talk about the jump ball, okay? Because the jump ball um, – sometimes gets neglected during the game. And um, so I'm just going to just start with this. What would I be talk about if I was um, talking about the jump ball? One, who's going to toss her best tosser? Two, okay? Um, and you can mention some plays like the jumper, all right, cannot touch the ball more than twi um, twice, cannot catch the jump ball, cannot hit the ball on its way off. Okay, then you, you know, um, and then when you talk about that, you can throw – could throw clock plays in with that, you know. If they touch it on its way up, should the game clock start and shot clock? The no. If they touch it more than twice, well, yeah, your game clock should start. You know, um, you know, if it's tapped and the jumper catches it, well, your game clock, you know, should start. If the jumper taps the ball and it hits the floor, can the jumper go get it? Yes. Okay. So those are four plays right off the jump ball that can happen, and if you get in, in the, and they happen a lot. Um, secondly, all three officials have to know the era once that ball's tapped. Okay, third of all, uh, when you're going from, from U1 to whoever's going to the lead has to be ready for these three plays off the jump ball. We're talking three person here. One, basket interference goaltending. You could have a quick one. Two, quick point three, a quick three-point shot. You're probably going to have to protect the shooter. Three, a block charge play across the lane, okay? Lead 
has to have all those in, for example, if you miss those um, in the beginning of the game, then, you know, you're going to be chasing the game. You're going to be constantly chasing the game. And, and, but if you get those to start off the game, wow, it's a great confidence. Um, little things to do with the jump ball is um, quick out-of-bounds play. Um, you know, who's got it? You know, um, here's a play I see missed, and it's an easy one, but it's missed a lot, is A1, the jumper, taps the ball to A3 in the front court. A3 gets it and throws it to A4 in the backcourt, and the officials miss it because they're just surprised. Yeah. Uh, and no one says anything. That's, that's even, you know, um, and, and so on. Um, but you want to get that to start the game um, and be prepared and be ready. Also, if you can't toss the ball, don't toss the ball. Have your best tosser. The second piece of this, do you practice your toss? Um, you know, and do you have someone watch you toss the ball? Do you dip on your toss? Can you throw it straight? Um, you know, do you go to the playground or park and see if you could, if your toss goes up and through the basket? Um, because starting a basketball game is like starting an orchestra for a band and, and you're off. Oh, you know, I, I've seen it watching a game one time on television. The toss was way off. And the announcer went, oh, my God, just like that, you know. And so those are things you want to start off. So if you, if you could – and those are simple things. But think about it. You know, if you're, if you're just watching games in, um, and let's say you miss, um, you know, the, uh, the jumper hitting the ball more than – you know, touching it more than twice, okay, you're 0 for 1. And then you go down you miss an out-of-bounds play. Now you're 0 for 2. So just think about that. That means you're going to have to get the next eight calls right to be 80%, where you could, uh, you know, and, and so on. Um, the other things about pregame is, you know, talk about your coverages, rebounding coverages. Who's got what? He's got strong sides. He's got weak sides. What do you do in the trill? Trill's got perimeter and can help with the weak and the strong side. Rationale, because they have a big picture um, mentality. What are you going to do on out-of-bounds plays when you don't know? What are you going to do in an out-of-bounds play when it's missed? Okay. Um, uh, another help play, there's a drive to the basket, and you come out, and someone and they pass off, and you don't know. You know how you're going to handle that. There's another one where a drive to the basket, and you don't know if they're in the act of shooting. How are you going to handle that? I mean, there's do you have help plays? You know, how are you going to referee on the perimeter? You know, what's a hand check? You say, what is a hand check? Oh, I know that. You, yeah, you do. You think you do, but what's a hand check? I'll tell you what a hand check is. A hand check's a reroute, an MP, a stayed hand, it's two-hand. That's what a hand check is, you know. So these are things, and they're simple things, but if you get those things right, know your penalties. You know, you know talk the high school game, you know, um, intentional foul, flavor foul, technical foul, double foul. Talk the NCAA men's game, flagrant one, flagrant two, you know, technical fouls, dead ball contact, class A's, class B's, administrative. You talk the women's game, intentional foul, disqualifying foul, administrative, player substance, and so on. You talk the FIBA game, unsportsmanlike fouls, disqualifying fouls, team control foul. You talk the pro game, clear the path, 
flagrant one, flagrant two, technical fouls, fighting fouls, double fouls, loose ball fouls. See, see where I'm going with this? I'm getting really detail oriented. Where are we putting the ball in play? You know, and just things of that nature because you want to be spot on with everything. Um, little thing, before I minister a throw in or free throw, I sweep the floor, I look at my partner's table, game clock, shot clock, every single time. When someone catches the ball on the perimeter, right, I start refereeing 70% offense, 30% defense, and I'll go feet, pivot, waste of the defender. Everybody talks about um, refereeing the defense. I'm telling you, you got to take it further. Go to their waist or their eyes because their waist in their eyes at any level will dictate what their hands are going to do. On dribble drives, switch your eyes. You referee 70% defense, 30% offense. Um, when someone goes up for a jump shot, where are we looking at everybody? Our points of contact. So the sequence is aim small, miss small. So I look from the wrist on down. If there's contact foul on top, usually a good point. Three point shots. How are we going to sequence it? It should be screen, line, defender. So any three point shot, there's usually a screen. So find your screen, legal. Got my line. Okay. Now I protect my shooter. And, and, and I go to the defense for um, and I'm going fast. If you, there's a lot of clamping in all basketball today. If you miss a clamp, this is what you got to do. Find the person with the straight arm. The one with the straight arm, they're the ones who's being fouled. Okay? And I'm just throwing things out. Trill and C always protect the lead's backside. Lead always protect the trill and C's front side. Okay? Staying in our primaries. Well, when do we go in our secondary? It's got to be a strike right down the middle. On the corners, we pass. Uh, dang it. You know, so these are all little things that you 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 gotta get prepared for, you gotta be be ready and 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 so on. Um fast break cover, where's the lead, where's the center? It becomes a two-person game. Because if the lead is parallel with the player, these attendants gotta get up to be ready to officiate. Coming up the floor is a trill. What are you doing? There's no pressure. Three things: demeanor of the defense. In other words, you're gonna find the their demeanor, how the offense is formulating on any level, clocks, fouls, every time. And, and this is what I'm seeing by detail oriented, detail oriented. Because as an NBA, someone asked me, as an NBA scout, where do you look for referees? I said, I look all over. I, work, I look a lot in recreation ball, believe it or not, because I can see who's working hard and what I can do. You know, um, when you go out there, show effort and urgency. When you go from curve to lead, it's not a home run trot. It's a dead sprint. And then if there's a press scenario, you come out. Talk about press coverages. You know, there are, and, there, and there's, that's what I'm saying. It should be 30 to 45 minutes. And a, a lot of individuals will say, well, it's only high school basketball, Al. Well, the Catholic League games, for example, they draw three, three to 5,000 a game. That's high school basketball. Three to 5,000 a game. Eight to 10 of those players on that court that night probably will go play in the NBA. So, great job. A game's a game. A game's a game. I don't care the level where it is. You never know who's in that gym. And guess what? To get good at this, you have to fail. And when you fail, use it as a positive so you will grow. Okay, don't get down when you fail and you will grow. Also, to hang around with officials that are refereeing at higher levels um, because you only, you only get better. For example, um, Smush is on this when he, when, when he was coming up as a player. 
uh, just playing basketball, you always wanted to play probably against players that were better than you so you could get better. It's the same thing with officiating. If you go out and referee with guys that are better than you or ladies that are better than you, guess what? You're going to get better. And, you know, and, and every day you get up in the morning, which I do, have wisdom. Hey, what am I going to learn today? I got to learn something today. And, and then and the last thing I'll leave you with is you have to decide, decide what you want to do. And by the way, just because you're a high school referee, that doesn't mean you're a bad referee. And just because you're a Division three referee, that doesn't mean you're a bad referee. I mean, there's a, if you work at this, there's a place that you can do well or will do well. But just think about this is you have to decide what you want to do, whether it's high school, college, or professional, or maybe all of them. And then you have to come up with plans how to do them. And you can't have anyone tell you, oh, you can't do that. No, you have to come up with a plan and just do it. And guess what? You're going to have roadblocks. Um, mm -hmm. And then you're mm -hmm. going to get to see, hey, let me see how I can recover this and keep going. And, you know, basketball officiating is like hitting the baseball. Some days you're going to be 0 for 4. Some days you're going to be 4 for 4. And as Tony Gwynn, the reason why he was such a great hitter, and Ted Williams, Joe DiMaggio, is the reason why those guys were great hitters, whether they were 4 for 4 or 0 for 4, they got up the next day and they had a routine and they kept on doing the same thing and they didn't get down. Same thing in officiating. So, you know, I know I went all over the place, Bernard, but <laughs> no, I, I there's nothing but I want but to help you. I don't want Al, to hurt I, you. You know, no, Al, I, I, I think that every bit of nuggets that you throw to this whole group and those who will share that information with others is nothing but an added plus. You're an added plus to the game. You're an added plus to the community of officials. So I thank you and I appreciate your support. Uh, I just would like to add a couple of other little things that I think that I would like to talk a little bit about as well. And that is, as officials, we always want to walk into an arena, walk into a gymnasium, and always look at that baseline, look at the sideline, and see how much space you have. I thought that would be another added piece that everybody could think about. You go into facilities, you don't know where the 24-second clock is, you don't know where the 30-second clock is, you don't know where the 35-second clock is, and you go in a gym and you're looking all over for it. So that's something else to add to that pregame that I think it'll help everybody as well. We're going to be moving on. We have some uh, additional guests that are on. Uh, if they like to say a word or say hello, I would like for them to go ahead and do that. But I want to acknowledge Kenny Jordan uh, from Board 37, where I started at in Brooklyn. And uh, he's on listening. And uh, Kenny, would you like to say a few words? Okay. Uh, if he gets on, he gets on. That'll be fine. We're going to be going to our next topic. Uh, the next topic is post-game. And we're going to be talking a little bit about post-game and, and what do that mean from the official standpoint and what is the steps that you should be thinking about and doing when you have to do a post-game. And I'm going to say the post-game report. So obviously it is writing something up and giving us some acknowledgement of what has transpired in the game you just did. Kevin Sparrick still on? I, I am, I am. Uh, give me one second. How are you doing today, Bernard? I'm doing well. And Great. I always love to hear your voice. Thank you for showing your support. And I'd like you to kick us off with a post game and explain to us the steps and the things that you have done. And then we'll ask some of the other officials what do they think 
their post game should look like. Well, let, let me start off by saying is that I've, I have, it's been a long time since I've, um, well, this is what I found out about post games very early is that if you don't write well, it will hurt you. Um, I learned I had to learn how to write a whole lot better than what I was doing because, you know, I learned from a police officer, you know, sadly to say is that when you are, when you are writing up a incident report, you have to be extremely detailed in everything that occurs. That thing still applies to when you are a, an official. And I learned really quickly that I had to really change how I went about this process of a post game. Um, what needs to go in a post game? Um, quite frankly, anything that you think your, your supervisor will get a phone call about. And I always say like that, like if, if, if you have an, a play, even if it's out of bounds and the coach gives you a reaction, that's a play that I'll say that I looked at and that I, I reviewed and I'm gonna put that in my post game. Anything atypical has to, has to, has to go in. Um, atypical, what I mean, anything involved with technical foul, flagrant foul, um, uh, end, of the period, um, end of the period situation um, that you have to look at. Um, I'm sorry, uh, any, any situation at the end of, end of the game where it's a, a last second shot, all those situations have to go in there. Anything that's involving a table personnel where there's a malfunction, there's a problem with the clock, Anything is, has to do with security. Um, anything that has to do with, um, with your arrival to the arena, um, if your partner's late, that reason for that. And, and I think a lot of us have this misconception that if you're late, you're ratting your partner out, but that is part of your job as a, a crew chief of informing your, your supervisor of all those, those things that occur that are, that are out of the norm. Um, again, I think it's anything that involves you um, that, that, invo that involves you think that the supervisor is going to get a phone call about that's something you, that in the back of your head you gotta you gotta put in because the thing that you think is not going to be a problem always er turns out to be the problem you'd be the first um, uh, what else can we put in there um and i think the the overall thing is is just, it's anything else when you're dealing with with um what, what you're doing with during your game you have to be really really good at at, at uh, you have to practice that writing that information down. So I would advise you that if you've never been a crew chief before, I would advise you to, if you have a technical file, something that's atypical in the game, I would get into the habit of practice writing those things down and what it looked like, the entire occurrence as, it, as you remember it in your head. And if you see, if you have a videotape, putting that down um, um, on a piece of paper, writing down exactly what happened. Um, because I'll tell you a story what occurred with me is that I wrote a post game at the end of the game and, and the, you know, the post game I wrote down, unfortunately, had, had two different stories from my story and my partner's story. And the reason why we had a two, a, two different stories is because this conference supervisor required that every time there's an ejection in the game, um, all the partners had to write, the, write their story. Well, guess what? His story didn't jive with my story, and it had nothing to do with what we saw. It had everything to do with how it was written. Um, so I, I would think that's, and, and I would get around other people who have written uh, um, posting before, getting get in contact with them and say, hey, does it sound right? What is this, you know, do you think this is the right thing to do? Because it's like, like officiating, it's not something that comes to you naturally. You really have to get into the habit of, the, the, get into those habits of um, writing posting. So if I was long-winded, that's a, uh, I'm sure there's a whole lot more. A lot of people could add a lot of good stuff. Okay. Thank you, Kev. As usual, appreciate all your feedback. Have another young man who got involved in the officiating community. Uh, we work well in the financial world as well. And his name is Joe Thompson. Joe, would you give us a little feedback on what do you uh, have accomplished, steps that you've gotten to where you have in the basketball community, and give us a little bit about 
a post game that in some of your experience in writing one. Joe, Joe Thompson. Excuse me about that. Alex Jones, can you hear me? I see Bernard. Bernard, I see Joe up there. It looks like he's muted, though. Yeah, I see it. I'm trying to get him unmuted. I can't get him off or unmute. So what I'm going to do is, as we say, let's go to the next official up. Gary Patterson, welcome to the group. Thank you very much for joining. Can you unmute yourself? Um, I, ha I have. Can you give yeah. us a little bit about a little bit about yourself and your officiating uh, growth, and a little bit about a post game involving yourself? Okay, thanks for putting me on the spot. <laughs> um, I've been officiating for quite a while, just like everyone else, coming up through the ranks, CYO, high school, junior college, and so on, and adult leagues, because that's where you can test yourself mentally. And I found a lot of those things will help you going into your, uh, your games, dealing with players, personalities, coaches, et cetera. You can still hear me, everyone? Bernard, can you hear me? Hello? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yes, I can, I can hear, hear you. Okay. Continue or? Yeah, continue. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I'm going to jump right to post game. Post game is pretty much like what Kevin said, um, going over things that may have happened in the game, funky plays, technical fouls. And it's funny that Kevin brought up the fact that anything you're, you think your supervisor may get a call on or learn about, had a situation like that a couple years ago, which I dismissed as nothing much. And the next afternoon, my supervisor called me regarding something that was really, it's part of the game, but it wasn't on the court. It's crowd control and site management. I remember clearly what happened, but that's something that I didn't think about in the game report, but it's something important. Anything that's out of the ordinary, just report it. You can't hurt yourself. You could probably help yourself or help the crew. And post game, you could just sit down and debrief and talk amongst yourselves about uh, certain plays. Uh, how do you think you, we handle the game? What can we do differently going forward, whether we work together or with different partners? Um, that's pretty much what I have after being put on the spot. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I, I'm, not, I personally, I'm not prepared. You know what? I appreciate you coming on. And thank you for joining us and giving us some feedback. Uh, and, and just to know and know a little bit about your growth in it, I'm very proud of you and what you do. And as much as I can help you, have helped you, and would love to help you, all you got to do is always reach out to me, and you know that. So thank you for staying on with us. You're welcome. Joe thank Thompson, you. can you hear us now? Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay. If you talk up a little bit. All right. I think the, the first thing that we all should think about as officials is that if you love this game, it's going to love you back. And it's going to be displayed in the way that you participate with your, your fellow officials, how you participate with athletic directors and head coaches. Particularly for the young folks who are working, when you start out, let's be very frank about it. There's not a lot of money to be made, but there are valuable lessons that go along the way. Let me kind of just stop and say, well, I've, I've officiated for Tim Ebersole in Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, Region 19, Division 3, PSAL in Brooklyn and in New York. I've worked for Bernard for about maybe 15 or 20 years ever since I got out of graduate school and I got back into officiating. Uh, Al Batista was one of the, he and Reggie Greenwood were the best lecturers that I've ever heard in person. So if you do get an opportunity to attend a camp where Al Batista is going to be talking, I suggest you, you attend that camp. 
to piggyback what Kevin was saying about the post game, since professionally I, I write reports for a living, the things that want to go into your post game report are very simple who, what, when, where, and how. So if you can basically document who, what, when, where, and how, and then embellish on those, on those, those particular points, you will probably have all of the information you need to get to your supervisor or to the PSL assigner or whoever the administrator is in person that you need to speak with. The other thing is if you're working games with folks who haven't worked many years, who've had maybe one or two or three years of service in, in officiating blowing the whistle, the very first thing you want to do with those kind of officials is say, look, there's a few things I always tell people. We are not curing cancer. We are not solving world peace. We are refereeing a basketball game. Treat it as such. Enjoy it. I find a lot of young officials, they overcomplicate things. The other thing is, the better the level of play, easier it is to referee. Now, if you are working a lot of CYO and a lot of small uh, 12 and under or 14 under games, I like to call those jump ball festivals because the kids are falling on the floor. The ball is always on the floor. But once you start getting to the high school, the junior college, and the college level, you'll start to see that the game has flow to it, that you basically have to just make sure you can run the floor. Al mentioned the, the home run trot. Unfortunately, I've worked with officials who want to walk up and down the floor. That's not a good look. It really isn't. And to me, if you're running the floor, you're in a position to make a call because then the coaches can't say, well, how could you see that? You weren't in position. So what we want to do as officials is we want to run the floor. Work with your partners. Be encouraging. I've never, and I'm, I'm going to stop at this point, I've never wrecked a perfect game. It does not exist. There's always something in the game that you could have done better. I told our board members last season, I've had the opportunity to work with Gary Patterson, Antonio Brimmer, Jerome Scrine, who was a Division I referee for 30 years, and I've worked with Sean Holder. And through the course of the games and actually having an opportunity to blow the whistle with them, there was something in the game that they did that I liked. And so what I did was, I'm a thief. I stole it. I worked with Artie Smith on many occasions. There was something we did during the ball game that Artie did that I liked. But what I did was I took a mental note and I made sure to use it going forward. The last thing I'm going to say to you is you can learn something from a six-year-old kid. Have an open mind. Be patient with yourself. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I have another young man that I've worked with, helped him get kick-started. He took off and ran with it. Uh, Alex Jones, can you hear me? Alex Jones? Okay. Uh, he's not coming in. Uh, it's something wrong with the system tonight, so I apologize on behalf of myself and Ralph and us putting this together. Uh, but Arthur, Arthur Smith, can you hear me? I can hear you. If you can give us a little bit about what you feel a post game should look like and give us a little bit of understanding of how you perceive it to be and what you would do during your post game, and why would you give it a post? Why would you write a post game report? Um, okay. Could you guys hear me? Shake yes. Head. All right, thanks. And Joe, you must have stolen how well I drink water. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> but um, post game, after the post game, I, I like to just talk about the certain plays that happened and um, 
on even if a, a call I made, like I would ask my partner, what you think about that call, a travel, a foul, whatever it was, and I, I felt uncertain of it. Um, hopefully he did the same thing. And they would go over some cuckoo plays. There was cuckoo plays on, in the, in the, um, during the game. Um, <clears throat> and then if there, was, if there was a technical foul or whatever it was, you just basically write the report, piggybacking on Joe, who, what, where, and when. Absolutely. Um, it's, a report I, it's a report I do when I'm at work. <laughs> and it's a report I do when... On the on, as a referee, if you can answer all those all those questions, I think it'll be precise, brief, and to the point. Um, like I said, just make sure you and your partner feel comfortable. And it's not a perfect game. There's, there'll never be a perfect game as a ref. So just make sure when you go out of there, you've learned. Someone's yelling. I hear someone yelling. Uh, yeah. Um, um, just make sure you know when you after that during that post game that you go over plays and you've taken something out of it. Um, because you're definitely going to feel like I'm hard on myself. So I'm always like, Jesus, how did I do? And blah, blah. And I kind of done this better and everything else. So just make sure you bring something out of it and learn for the next game and you can work on that. And that's about it. Great. Sean, would you close it up with us? And then I'll give some summary to what I believe a post game is and, and, or additional to what a post game is some additional feedback I would like to give, especially in rec basketball. And all that rec basketball can do is help you prepare for that next level. So Sean, could you give us a little bit, a little bit about Sean Campbell? Sean Campbell, give us a little bit about a post game to you. Yeah, sure. So I'll speak separate and apart from the, the referee's duty to fill out a post game report. I feel like each official, whether it's two or three, each official has a duty to perform some type of post-game duty, if you will. Um, the post-game is not a time to get in and high-five and quick in the shower and out, um, as most guys would do. It's a time to kind of reflect on the game that you've had. It's a time to assess your performance. It's a time to ask questions on plays that you're not 100% sure about, you want the feedback from your partner, right? It's really not the time, excuse my French, it's not the time to bullshit, right? Because this, this is where you learn a lot from the game. Even when you leave the locker room, in my opinion, the, the post game still happens. So specifically for me, I'm typically wired after a game. If I'm going home or if I'm going to hotel, I'm basically rewatching the game I just officiated. That's just me. I want to see each play from a different angle. I want to know whether I got it right or whether I got it wrong. That's how much I want to get better. And I feel like if you're an official and you want to get better, if you want to climb this ladder, you have to put in that type of work. And if your post game is only, hey, all right, Gabe, great game, guys, and you're done and you're looking forward to the next game and you've never reviewed the prior game that you worked, then I'm not sure how much you're actually learning because there's a lot to be learned if you're reviewing tape. That's really all I have, B. Okay, great. Sean Holder, uh, could you give us a little bit about your experience over this past winter and some of the post games that you may have had to write or been around? Sure. Um, my past experience through, through my, my experiences of reporting post games was at first it was a little overwhelming because being that I was making that transition because I'm from high school into 
Division Three. It's a it's a different feel because in high school, all your post game report is or post game after the game is is basically you talk about a few things, but then but within college, there's there's film that you can go over. Like for example, my partners and I would would ask the email of the director and get the get the email and and look over the game. Sometimes it'll take a day or two, but it's still it's still a post game because we're still we'll be able to contact each other, call each other about going over the play. In terms of of being able to to write the post game was wasn't that e wasn't that bad because of because I worked for also the the Catholic League and the Catholic um the Catholic League was able to prepare prepare you for the next level. They they have a um a system which is called the Arbiter where you can able to write your post game on right instantly right there which is excellent so technology has been helping us a lot in this game so after at the end of every game if you're the if you're the r of the game you'll be able to tap into the app and write all the information right away but um in terms of uh, i'll go back to of of trying to understand understand having to do a post game and and trying to learn from from my mistakes and um like from for myself i'm very I'm very hard on myself, so any mistake that that, that I have, I think about it and it carries over. I don't. I try not to let it carry over. And Bernard was able to help me out through that, and he has the same. Um, after after your game, you go over your post game and just flush it and move on to the next one. Because sometimes, as a as a official and especially a new official doing doing college, you want you want to do you want what's best for you. You want to be able to perform at, at a high level. And um, I just encourage people out there that even sometimes we, we are bound to make mistakes. You know, that's how we grow in this game. And just in life in general, you know, we make mistakes, but we try to move forward and move on and learn from it. Kevin, uh, Kevin Hall, I know you did some high school finals this year. Did you have to do a post game after any of those games that you did this year? Um, well, yeah. Yeah, we always go over every play, um, every, any type of quirky play. Um, I, I like to ask a lot of questions when I see one official talking to a coach. And I, I want to know what, what you want to know everything. So um, if I see an official talking to the coach after or halftime, I ask, what was that conversation about? You know, you know, what did you see there? What did I close down properly? We have a double whistle here. What, what did you see? You know, it's all about the communication about with your partners. Um, if anything, I, the year before I had um, in a high school game, I had a fight in the game and in the crowd. So I had to write a report. I was the R and I had to write a report to um, Leroy in the public school. And what I did was in that report, I just reported all the numbers, all the kid numbers that pretty much left the bench and went into the stands at Ford. Um, security that was involved, coaches, I forwarded to my partners, let them proofread it before I sent it out to the, the signer. Um, you know, make sure, you know, it was grammarly correct. Because it's not only the yeah, sound of that seeing it, it's also the, you know, PSAL. I don't know if they're going to have lawyers involved. So you got to make sure it's, it's correct. So I sent it out and everything else is from there. That's how my post game went that, on, on that instance. But during like the season when I was doing the finals, uh, it was a, the game I had was a blowout. So <laughs> it really was nothing to talk about after, but everything else was good. Okay, great. Bernard, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Great. Alex Jones, how are you guys? We're waiting on you. We didn't know if you, you hung up on us or not. No, nah, no. Nah, I tried to you know, reboot, recalibrate. Um, Alex Jones, basketball official for about 20 years or so. 
Um, been fortunate enough to work with Bernard, and he actually helped me get started. I remember working for Bernard when I was not even certified and being pushed by one of my comrades, Wayne Lassane, who told me to actually go and get certified. And once I did that, I was lucky enough because Bernard gave me opportunities. And when I say opportunities, the more plays that you see as a basketball official, the better you are to adjudicate the plays. Whether or not it's on a high school level, whether or not it's on a college level, whether or not it's on a professional level. Um, when it regards to post game, I think it's very important to have the mental fortitude to know if you've done something that might have affected the game in the wrong way and be willing to own up to that responsibility because, you know what, your supervisor is going to find out. The word, what they say, if you want to keep a secret, tell a basketball official. And therefore, there's nothing that's secret when it comes to basketball officiating. Anything that you do on the court, anything that you do in, in between the lines, someone's going to know about it. In the time and technology that we have now, someone's going to see it. So therefore, make sure that you're able to articulate what happened during the game, just like Joe mentioned eloquently earlier in his segment, you know, when, what, why, how, that is so important. And I think it's a joint collaboration between the crew members to get it right. I remember having a game at Clinton High School maybe six years ago, and it turned into the crowd running onto the court, and people had to be ejected out of the gym. And the first thing that I did with the crew, and it was a two-person crew because it was only a double, it was only an A game, A division. Went to the people at the bench with the coaches, me and my partners. We talked to them, told them what we needed to have done as far as the crowd was concerned. I went to the table personnel, me and my partner, and we spoke to them, got all the information that we needed from them. Now, these are students. They're not professionals. So you have to help them so they can help you. And so we shared information, made sure that we indicated what time this took place, what number of this person that took place, and so on and so forth. And I really do believe, because we handled that situation properly, as we got into the playoff situation and things started to unfold, I found myself at Madison Square Garden doing a championship game in a double-edged situation. I think people don't realize how important it is to communicate. And post-game is nothing more than a part of the communication that you give to your supervisor, whether or not it's Leroy Hendricks, whether or not it's Danny Harris, Donald Douglas, whoever it might be, Bernard Bowen. Gary Patterson, whoever it could be, they need to know before they find out from someone else. And on that, I'll leave you with that. Thank you very much. On point. Now I have a special guest who will introduce the second I thought I was special, guest. man. Damn. We all are special. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we all are special. We're all referees. Uh, I have Miss Stephanie Boxdale. She's on the line. She was just listening in. And I would like for her to say a few words, say hello. Hey, she wants everyone. to add anything additional, she's welcome to. And then um, I would love for her to introduce our other guests who is listening in. And I appreciate her being here as well. Stephanie, would you say a few words? Absolutely. First of all, Alex, you know you are special. Come on now. Um, good evening to everyone tonight. Um, Thank I think you. this conversation um is spot on i'm not going to be redundant because honestly alex stole my thunder that's why he's special um post games are just what he said essentially a communication but ultimately before i i know it's getting late and um folks it's around dinner time 
So I'm going to lob it over to one of my good friends and someone I aspire to um, be more like because of her work ethic, her drive, her personality, her feel for the game. And her name is Carlina Tobin. Carlina is a little bit further down south on, um, down in Baltimore, but she has a wealth of knowledge that I just want to take a moment to introduce her and allow her to speak on her experiences with pre and post game. Thank you, Stephanie. Hello, everyone. Uh, can everyone hear me? Give me a little wave if you can hear me. Thank you. Um, again, my name is Carlina Tobin. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I have the pleasure of working with Stephanie uh, in college basketball and NBA G League and also refereeing the WNBA. Um, just, I, I was listening to everything. I think the pregame was well done. Everyone contributed to parts of the pregame and Al took it home for us. And postgame, uh, Kevin mentioned that words matter. When you write your postgame and you hit send, you have no idea where that email or that report is gonna go, or whose hands it's gonna be in. So whether it's spell checking, your grammar, um, specific player numbers and names, those words matter. And then another piece of postgame, and I know I'm gonna be really quickly, uh, quick about this, is aside from the game reports, it's your self-development. So are you watching your video? I don't know if Al can hear me, but when I started refereeing, Al pulled me to the side and said, do you watch yourself on film? Hey Al, I said, uh, and he said, well, why not? You'll become so much better if you see yourself on film. Um, so when I began to do that, my game went from zero to 100, as Drake says. So post-game video, hold yourself accountable. Be open and honest with yourself in your self-assessment. If you haven't watched yourself on video, find a mentor in your area. You know, I'm willing to help. You know, I'm, I'm always available and I'm easy to access. Just if you don't know how to watch a game film, pull someone to the side and ask them to help you. That's how you want to take your game to the next level when you see your tendencies on film. Um, be engaged in the locker room with your partners if you're talking about a play, maybe the newer official on a crew. Engage yourself, speak up. You know, asking questions is how we um, move along and get better. And then just be willing to listen. If someone gives you advice or feedback, you know, if you like it, great, take it. If you don't, table it and move forward, okay? But, um, you know, it's very easy for us to become confrontational in situations like that. But the professional side and being able to um, men through those things will help you. So that's all I have to say. Bernard, thank you for having me on. Ralph, thank you for having me on. And Stephanie, thank you for the intro. And I'm all done. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. As we said, we close at 8.30. Just to give us a little heads up, I'll be doing a virtual camp next week, Thursday at 7 p.m. Uh, it's going to probably be about the same time, an hour, hour and a half. We're going to be talking about how to go to a camp. What should you be prepared for? What should you be how should you go dressed? How should you go groomed? Uh, how should your parents be? All of the things that people will be looking at when you attend a camp and how we build relationships at camp and what camps, or what should we be getting out of the camp? So I'll have a couple of guest speakers on to help speak about that. I will give us a little bit more of my experience of being an observer at Hope Mountain and other camps myself and running my own personal camps here in the metropolitan area. I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping that we can pass the word out. It's all free. It's all information. It's all knowledge. We should all use it. We should all get great at it. And we should all look about how we share with each other to become better officials in this basketball community. So with that said, Ralph, would you like to add anything before we close? I just want to thank all the people that presented and spoke tonight. Um, we really appreciate it. Bernard and I have been hard at work at a lot of things that I hope that you guys um, are going to enjoy. Um, also, I just want to give a shout out to everybody that was on this call, only because it's a very difficult thing to stay connected in this game. 
and the fact that you guys are in the school and we're 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 still communicating and and still doing a, a pregame and a postgame, even though the the we can't be on the court. The fact that we're still engaged makes me feel good. And like I said, I thank everybody that was on that call and thank you for Bernard and uh seeing my vision out. Well, we both have a vision and we both have a vision to see officials grow. And Al, we love you. Thank you for all your leadership. I know all the officials love you and, and, and continue doing what you're doing. And you're definitely going to be welcome if you'd like to join us next week as well. Uh, you came to one of my camps and spoke last year, and you did an awesome job. And I, I said I love to piggyback off of what you do and help other officials grow. So as long as I'm out here, I'm going to follow your footsteps, take my own steps, and try to keep this community going. Thank you, everyone. Good night. Well Thanks, said, Jill. Ladies and right. gentlemen, well said, well said. Good night. Good night, everyone.